Section 35 of The Colonel's Dream This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White The Colonel's Dream by Charles Chestnut Section 35 Chapter 35 at the same time that the colonel, dry-eyed and heavy-hearted, had returned to his empty house to nurse his grief, another series of events was drawing to a climax in the dilapidated house on Mink Run. Even while the preacher was saying the last words over little Phil's remains, old Malcolm Dudley's illness had taken a sudden and violent turn. He had been sinking for several days, but the decline had been gradual, and there had seemed no particular reason for alarm. But during the funeral exercises, Ben had begun to feel uneasy. Some obscure premonition warned him to hurry homeward. As soon as the funeral was over, he spoke to Dr. Price, who had been one of the pallbearers, and the doctor had promised to be at Mink Run in a little while. Ben rode home as rapidly as he could. As he went up the lane toward the house, a negro lad came forward to take charge of the tired horse, and Ben could see from the boy's expression that he had important information to communicate. "'Yo uncle's master's low, sir,' said the boy. "'You better go in and see him quick, or you'll be too late. "'Dey ain't nobody with him but old Aunt Viney.' Ben hurried into the house and to his uncle's room, where Malcolm Dudley lay dying. Outside, the sun was setting, and his red rays, shining through the trees into the open window, lit the stage for the last scene of this belated drama. When Ben entered the room, the sweat of death had gathered on the old man's brow, but his eyes, clear with the light of reason, were fixed upon old Viney, who stood by the bedside. The two were evidently so absorbed in their own thoughts as to be oblivious to anything else, and neither of them paid the slightest attention to Ben, or to the scared negro lad who had followed him and stood outside the door. But marvelous to hear, Viney was talking, strangely, slowly, thickly, but passionately and distinctly. "'You had me whipped,' she said. "'Do you remember that?' "'You had me whipped, whipped, whipped by a poor white dog I had despised and spurned. You had said that you loved me, and you had promised to free me, and you had me whipped. But I've had my revenge. Her voice shook with passion, a passion at which Ben wondered. That his uncle and she had once been young, he knew, and that their relations had once been closer than those of master and servant. But this outbreak of feeling from the wrinkled old mulatress seemed as strange and weird to Ben as though a stone image had waked to speech. Spellbound, he stood in the doorway and listened to this ghost of a voice long dead. Your uncle came with the money and left it, and went away. Only he and I knew where it was, but I never told you. I could have spoken at any time for twenty-five years, but I never told you. I have waited. I have waited for this moment. I have gone into the woods and fields and talked to myself by the hour that I might not forget how to talk, and I have waited my turn, and it is here and now. 
Ben hung breathlessly upon her words. He drew back beyond her range of vision, lest she might see him, and the spell be broken. Now, he thought, she would tell where the gold was hidden. He came, she said, and left the gold, two heavy bags of it, and a letter for you. An hour later he came back and took it all away, except the letter. The money was here one hour, but in that hour you had me whipped, and for that you have spent twenty-five years in looking for nothing, something that was not here. I've had my revenge. For twenty-five years I've watched you look for nothing, have seen you waste your time, your property, your life, your mind, for nothing. For all, Mars Malcolm, you had me whipped by another man. A shadow of reproach crept into the old man's eyes, over which the mists of death were already gathering. Viney, he whispered, you have had your revenge, but I was sorry, Viney, for what I did, and you were not. And I forgive you, Viney, but you are unforgiven, even in the presence of death. His voice failed and his eyes closed for the last time. When she saw that he was dead, by a strange revulsion of feeling, the wall of outraged pride and hatred and revenge built upon one brutal and bitterly repented mistake and laboriously maintained for half a lifetime in her woman's heart that even slavery could not crush, crumbled and fell and let pass over it in one great and final flood the pent-up passions of the past. Bursting into tears, strange tears from eyes that had long forgot to weep, old Viney threw herself down upon her knees by the bedside and seizing old Malcolm's emaciated hand in both her own, covered it with kisses, fervent kisses, the ghosts of the passionate kisses of their distant youth. With a feeling that his presence was something like sacrilege, Ben stole away and left her with her dead, the dead master and the dead past, and thanked God that he lived in another age and had escaped this sin. As he wandered through the old house, a veil seemed to fall from his eyes. How old everything was, how shrunken and decayed. The sheen of the hidden gold had gilded the dilapidated old house, the neglected plantation, his own barren life. Now that it was gone, things appeared in their true light. Fortunately, he was young enough to retrieve much of what had been lost. When the old man was buried, he would settle the estate, sell the land, make some provision for Aunt Viney, and then, with what was left, go out into the world and try to make a place for himself and Graciela. For life intrudes its claims, even into the presence of death. When the doctor came, a little later, Ben went with him into the death chamber. Viney was still kneeling by her master's bedside, but strangely still and silent. The doctor laid his hand on hers and old Malcolm's, which had remained clasped together. "'They are both dead,' he declared. "'I knew their story. My father told it to me many years ago.' Ben related what he had overheard. "'I'm not surprised,' said the doctor. "'My father attended her when she had the stroke, 
and after. He always maintained that Viney could speak, if she had wished to speak. End of section 35. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.